Okay, we come now to uh, our uh, sermon out of 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 7 through 19. While you're opening your Bibles there, and I should have said this with the hymnals, I apologize. Remember, y'all, you can grab those if you want to. You're the only ones touching them, okay? So uh, the virus dies over the week, and so feel free if you don't have your Bible with you to grab, uh, grab that Bible out. Also, for you at home, I hope you have your Bibles. I've been encouraging you to hold your own Bibles and to, uh, uh, to holler at me if you don't have one, and I'll send you one. I'll bring it over to your house or whatever you need. Um, but but uh, uh, never fear, those words will be up on your screen as we worship the Lord together. First uh, Kings chapter 18, verses 7 through 19. Uh, this, uh, uh, by way of introduction, remember, is a sermon series on this prophet Elijah. But of course, it's really about uh, God's working through this prophet, revealing uh, this powerful working of God on his people's behalf, right? God is working always on his people's behalf, but through Elijah, we see that power that comes with it, right? Elijah, he's just a powerful prophet. It's very confrontational sometimes, almost offensive, and yet here in this moment, we begin to see that power of the gospel play out. And as you maybe heard as I was addressing the children earlier, we've got a little bit of Obadiah still. And we should not neglect dear Obadiah, the faithful Christian here in 1 Kings 18. The main point this morning of our sermon is that God's work for his people gives confidence to live obediently in his will. Uh, maybe in question form, do you have confidence? That would be the question form, right? Do you, do you struggle with confidence? Uh, do you struggle with spiritual confidence? Are you spiritually confident? God's work for his people gives confidence to live obediently in his will. Let's pray. We'll read God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word to us. Now, God, would you make it powerful? We know that it holds power because it's your word. And so, God, as it is read aloud, as it is proclaimed, oh, Holy Spirit, do a work in us where we will be different afterwards, where you will change us for the better. Lord, do it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings 18, starting with verse 7. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he can't find you, he'll kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, 
I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, this word right here that was just read, it stands forever. We'll have it even in heaven. Thanks be to God. Two points this morning are going to, it's going to help us to see, uh, reveal this, that God's work for his people gives confidence to live obediently in his will. The first point, commands, and the second point, God's work. And maybe in parentheses, promises and action. Promises and action for that second point, God's work. First, though, we see a command in verses 7 through 14. For context, just so we kind of know where we are in this point in history, there's a drought in the land caused by God through Elijah. Ahab and his household are very, very bad. Obadiah is a believer of God. And Elijah is about to confront the disbelief of Israel in incredible fashion. Uh, most people know of Elijah from his uh, battle, as it were, on Mount Carmel. But how does it get set up? We have that here this morning. In the midst of all of these things that are happening, through Obadiah, yet again, we get a glimpse into the obedience that God calls us to and the confidence, the comfort, the mercy that God himself gives us. With these things in mind, which commands of God throw you for a loop? Which ones? There are some, right? Maybe, maybe it was in a certain life stage and you say, yeah, that one threw me for a loop because I didn't want to obey it for one reason or another. Uh, maybe count it all joy, brethren. How can I count this all joy? How can we count the virus all joy? That seems ludicrous, right? Uh, maybe that one throws you for a loop. Uh, be strong and courageous. I hadn't been strong and hadn't been courageous one second of my life. How, how can that be a command? He's telling me to do that. How could God ask of me something like that? Be humble. <laughs> be humble, right? That's a tough one for some of us. It just is, right? Y'all know. Remember the Sabbath. That commandment, fourth commandment, we teach the children, right? Twos, remember the Sabbath. Looks like a little church house. That one can be hard. Ah, do I really have to get up? Do I really need to tune in for a live stream? Really? Maybe I'll just take off this week. Love your enemies. We've been loving our enemies in the USA past couple weeks. Love your enemies. What's that one command? that you just can't get behind. Go and make disciples. Pray without ceasing. It goes on and on, right? Uh, have you, when's the last time you prayed? Let alone prayed without ceasing, right? That, that's convicting for me. I think, man, I need to pray more. That, that's tough. What does that even mean? For Obadiah, it seems almost comical, but the command before him by a prophet of God, go get Ahab. That's the command, right? And did you see his response? It was... Quite a few verses, actually, of our text this morning. 
Elijah, are you crazy? I don't know if I could do that. Are you serious? Right? Uh, that's, that's Obadiah's response. He had a command before him where he thought to himself, I have been doing this thing. He justified himself even. I, I've been doing this thing, Elijah. Right? And yet, there's a command before him that he just can't get behind. Remember, Elijah is the mouthpiece of God. He's the prophet of God. Obadiah knows this. That's why he's, oh, oh Elijah, you know, you're, you're here. We've been, we've been looking for you and I found you. Great. I'm so thankful, right? You know, it's this moment, but, but it's right there. It's right in this moment as we see this, this balking at uh, Elijah's command. Hey, just go get Ahab. I need to meet with him. The Lord has called us to start to gather and do this thing. But, but it's right there. That's where God starts to reveal his confidence-building intentions for his people. And it's really our second point. It flows right in, right? As we see this command and we see Obadiah shock, we see that God's work of promise and action bear out and begin to take center stage. Verses 15 through 19, if you just wanted to really look and see, uh, it's really kind of all of the text as we're looking. Obadiah's response, we really can kind of categorize it, right? You, you, you kind of heard it in the text when I was reading it, but maybe we'll kind of categorize it a little bit easier. Pre-promise and post-promise, all right? Obadiah has two responses in, in the Bible text before us, a pre-promise response and a post-promise response. Here's the pre-promise response. Elijah, you're crazy. I'm trying to live my life faithfully. I believe in God, and your request is going to ruin this fine balance that I've somehow created in my life between my faith and all this other stuff. Elijah, you're going to ruin it. God, you're going to ruin it. There's a command that's going to really throw everything off kilter. Does that sound familiar to you? Workplace? School, friend groups, family, extended or not, right? Uh, I've been doing this thing. Listen, God, I, I'm faithful. I, I'm faithful. And you're asking this of me? That one's going to mess some stuff up. That one really is going to mess it up, God. What do I do? But what happens post promise. The promise is in verse 15, and I use that word very seriously. This is Elijah making a, uh, do you swear to tell the whole truth and all the truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do, right? In court, we do that. This is Elijah doing that. This is like what they would say to do that thing that I just said in our culture and context, okay? This is the promise in verse 15. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Because, as you heard from Obadiah's uh, opining and uh, waxing eloquent, Holy Spirit's going to take you somewhere else and I'm going to die. You know, this is, it's all over, Elijah, because I know he's going to take you somewhere else. Because that's what's been happening as you've been uh, evading the law, as it were, right? Uh, successfully, I might add. And, and so Elijah gives him the promise. Listen, here I stand. I swear uh, before my God, this is whom I serve. I'll be right here waiting for you. What's his response? Pre-promise? We know what that was. What's post-promise? Verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, 
and Ahab went to meet Elijah. It's that quick. We miss it. It's so easy to miss it, right? Uh, we see all of these Bible verses, and it's honestly, it's almost comical. There's almost a humor to it. He, you know, he's going to take you, he's going to zoom you off somewhere, it's going to be over. You know, he's whining a little bit, and then, uh, Elijah, I promise I'll be here. Okay. And then he went and did it. And then it's over. And we, we go on to the next verses, but, but there's something huge here. And, and it's a pre-promise response and a post-promise response. I think there could be some application of, uh, of how long it took Obadiah pre-promise and of how long it took him post-promise. But maybe we won't go there now. I'll let y'all sift through that. Uh, but, but there's this moment, right, where, where it's, it's much different after Obadiah is assured by the mouthpiece of God, Elijah. God's promises are meant to reveal God's sure work on our behalf. And this instills confidence, hope, and assurance. This promise, it stirred Obadiah into immediate action, just like so many of God's people throughout Bible history and beyond. Don't you resonate with that? Don't you see it in the word? Uh, Adam and Eve, they're hiding in the thicket, right? Because they knew they did something wrong. What did God do? He didn't kill them. He actually gave them clothes, and then he promised them something. Yeah, you're going to have to go through some tumult and some turmoil, but you're going to have somebody who stomps that snake's head. It's a promise, right? What's God do at the ark? The rainbow goes over and he says, hey, I'm going to put a rainbow over here. I promise I'm never going to send a flood like this again, right? Uh, what's he say to David when David's going through such turmoil and tumult and he doesn't know if he's going to be able to keep his kingdom together and he sees and maybe even foresees all of this terrible sadness of sin and rebellion uh, against not himself but against God. What, is, what does God say? You will never go a day when you don't have a descendant sitting on the throne that I have made for you. It's, of course, fulfilled in Jesus. All of these promises are, and we'll see that, and we'll get there, but those promises go on and on and on, and you see it almost in every page of Scripture as God is constantly promising to his people that he will do the things that he says he'll do. And here's the real kicker. God never makes an empty promise. Full period. Full stop. God never makes an empty promise. When he says something and then he promises it, it is as good as done. We see it here as Obadiah takes a back seat to Elijah's action on his behalf. Don't you see it? It's quick. Uh, Obadiah, 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 Obadiah. Here's Elijah, here's Elijah. Boom, all Elijah as it moves forward. But God uses Obadiah in such a beautiful way. We dare not skip over him because we are him. And it shows us something, the literal gospel itself. Because what does Obadiah say? If I do this, if I go, if I say, and I, and I, and I, and that personal pronoun becomes so glaringly obvious that it makes you feel awkward that he's talking about himself more and more. And then Elijah says, listen, I got this for you. I am the prophet of God. God 
is working for you. He's revealing uh, that beautiful reality of God working for us in the most astounding of ways. Uh, as Jesus, he, he is fully God, and he clothes himself with flesh. And, and it's not sinful flesh, it's perfect flesh. It's the likeness of sinful flesh. So Romans, uh, the letter to the Romans says, and, and so boom, he's on the scene. He's living this life, but he, he's not just doing it so he can say, hey, check that off the box. I'm perfect. No, he's living this life. Jesus is to die a sacrificial death for you, to do a work for you. So we can stop saying, I can't do it. If I go do this, my whole balance is going to be thrown off kilter. If I do this, I will fail. And Jesus says, you're right. But I will do it and I will succeed on your behalf. And after that and in that moment when you believe in me, all of my success will be given to you. That is the gospel of Jesus. And we see the very same thing playing itself out here with Elijah. Elijah is saying that to Obadiah. Listen, you go get him. I've got a work to do on your behalf. You say that you saved 50 prophets. I am a prophet. And I'm going to show you what God has in store for all the false prophets. If you just go get Ahab for me real quick. I want to work on your behalf. And God wants to work on your behalf. That is the moment. Now, let's apply it very quickly. Are you a pre-promise Christian? Remember that uh, pre-promise and post-promise Obadiah thought? In other words, did you know that God constantly and super abundantly promises his people salvation and good in the Bible? It's meant for you. But have you read it? Have you seen those promises? Do you know where they are? Are you a pre-promise Christian? Did you know that the Bible reading that your pastor or your elders encourage you to do, that that actually can instill a deep confidence that you never knew you lacked until you had it and you realize you have to have it and continue in it. The love of the scriptures. God is praised and worshipped as we see him conferring this benefit of spiritual confidence on us by his Holy Spirit through the reading of his word. It happens and we see it. Because God is constantly over and over showing us, I will do this for you. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Jesus, right? The ultimate fulfillment of such things. Secondly, remember that God never makes an empty promise. And he has told us that in belief that he is working for us and that if he is working for us, he has already finished the work. This is Paul in Philippians chapter 1. If he started a good work, the work is done, right? Uh, it, it's, it's crazy, but it's true. Uh, Romans chapter 8 again. If he has predestined you, you're already as good as in heaven. It's the golden chain. Find it. In the midst of Romans chapter 8, that's what they call it, chain of salvation, the order of salvation. When God starts a work, he finishes it. Full stop, period. How do you apply that, though? In the midst of your life, remind yourself of these promises. Uh, there is struggle that happens, and yet we sometimes don't acknowledge the struggle. It's okay to acknowledge the struggle. Uh, we can't fix it on our own, and yet we have a God who has assured us and promised us and showed us 
Remember, pre-promise and post-promise. And as we go lean more and more post-promise, we begin to see that these promises are true within us. And that uh, the longer we live our, uh, our lives within uh, the bounds of faith, as, as we believe and we have years and years under our belt of belief, we see God's providing for us. That's why it is good to share our testimony. Sometimes I kind of poke a little fun at the uh, Southern Christian's thought process on testimonies. Yeah. Would you mind telling me your testimony, young man? You know, and we, it's, it's, it's cute, it's funny, but, but there's a reality to it that's so beautiful because we see over the years of belief that God is working. And so for me, I'm a 15-year-old Christian. God has provided for me in immense ways in 15 years, and I could write uh, volumes upon volumes of that. But what about that person in our congregation right now who's a 30-year-old Christian? Like my wife. She doubles my testimony. What about the 45-year-old Christians, the 60-year-old Christians, the 80-year-old Christians, the 90-year-old Christians, the 100-year-old Christians, and the testimony that they have of the lives of God's providing for them? And they would say to you, God's promises are not empty. He is working, and I could tell you all about it, right? It's beautiful. We see it in our own lives, uh, but, but really in the testimony of our elders. Oh, it is wonderful, and yet, are you doing that? Are you remembering that? Lastly, remember that we are more like Obadiah and less like Elijah in this Bible passage. We, uh, whether we mean to or not, always place ourselves within characters of any story, a true story like we see here, or fictional stories in narrative. Uh, we do it in the news. Uh, we do it subconsciously. It happens because we're humans. We place ourselves within and we try to connect and empathize. And here, I'm telling you, empathize more with Obadiah and less with Elijah. Maybe you didn't empathize with Elijah yet, but we believe, we doubt, we obey, and we watch God work for us. Don't think that you are the one who must save your workplace, your child, your grandchild, your friends, your classmate, or your spouse. Because if you do, you'll freeze because you know you can't. That is God's work. That is why Obadiah, for all of the years of his life, did not do what Elijah did when he met with him. Hey, troubler of Israel. He said, I'm not the troubler. You're the troubler. <laughs> you think, whoa, <laughs> this is the king we're talking to here. But Elijah just doesn't care because his work is of the Lord. And this worldly king who has turned away from God and who has turned himself into these false gods and fallen into idolatry deserves no respect from the prophet. If you notice, Obadiah listens to his commands, not the ones that call him to idolatry because he fears God, but Obadiah does not try to do the work on his own. It's because he knows he can't do it. But Elijah enters the scene and Elijah works on his behalf, revealing the Lord Jesus Christ and God's work for us. A faithful life in Jesus means confident obedience as we watch and wait for our God to act. It doesn't lessen the responsibilities for faithfulness, righteousness, and willingness to speak of Jesus Christ, but it removes the impossible reality of humans changing humans' hearts and souls. That is God's domain and God's 
alone. God's work for his people gives confidence to live obediently in his will. Will you do that today? As you look to God and see his promises and work, will you live obediently recognizing you don't save yourself. It is God doing the work for you. And we can see it as we continue in our lives of faithfulness. Do it with me. Do it at Centennial. And let's watch God work for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you work? Would you even work so strongly as Elijah does here, confronting those many prophets of Baal and Asherah, the myriad false teachers, idolatry, and sin, not outside of God's country, but inside of the country. God, would you work that way for us? And yet, Lord, would you help us to live faithfully and not to try to seize power that we don't have and then be frustrated when we can't change people? God, will you give us that humility to see Obadiah, to see Elijah working on his behalf and through you? Lord, would you give us that wisdom and discernment to see you working in our midst? Please, God, please, would you do it? In Jesus' name, amen.